Bucknutters. It is Friday, July 12th, 2019. I am Dan Rubin. This is the Bucknuts Morning 5 and Change. As you can tell, I am still not Dave Biddle. This is the last day. I will not be him for sure. Dave will be back on Monday to host the BM5 in his rightful spot. This is my last show of a two-week gauntlet here. Only one way to finish it off, and that's with the people's champ, Matt Baxendell, who has been kind enough to join me this fine, sunny Friday morning. Bax, how goes it? Oh, Dan, I'm doing fantastic here. It's hard to be upset when the weather's this good in central Ohio, and we are now only seven weeks away from the start of college football season. We're going to take a look at recruiting today and then break down an initial look at the Big Ten. We've had plenty of recruiting guests on here recently, your G. Scott Seniors, Bill Curlix, your Steve Wolfongs of the world. Now let's get an opinion from someone who sees it from a more global Buckeye sense, and that's the people's camp. We were discussing this before the show. Let's start general. Max, if any person told me, Buckeye fan or not, biggest homer you ever met or not, that Ryan Day and company would get off to this good of a start with their first recruiting class, I would have said they're full of it. How is he doing this? Magic and voodoo? I mean, (laughs) you hit it on the head there describing that, Dan. I have a good friend who is probably the most excited person about Ryan Day I have met. Uh, the, the the leader of the Ryan Day bandwagon, if you will. He told me he thinks he'll be a better coach than Urban or Jim Trestle. And even he is absolutely flabbergasted at the way Ryan Day has been recruiting this summer. And it's not that we didn't eventually expect Ryan Day to have exceptionally good success in recruiting, but it's come so fast and it's come with such intensity that I don't think anybody could have anticipated this. You know, we were talking about this before the show. Their offensive recruiting right now in this class is better than any class Urban Meyer ever brought in, period. No doubt about it. This isn't debatable. They have the number one wide receiver in the country, the number one center in the country, the number one left tackle in the country. They have one of the top pro-style quarterbacks in the country in this recruiting class. And by the way, they have the chance to bring in a couple of the top five tailbacks in America in the next couple of weeks here. This is insanity. And oh, by the way, they got their top choice at tight end as well in Joe Royer, who 24-7 is the number three tight end in the country. It's not just that they have numbers. It's not just that they have four top 100 wide receivers right now, which is looking like it could potentially be maybe the best wide receiver hall in the modern recruiting era. It's that they're getting the best kids in the country, and they're getting their top targets, and it's just it's a deluge at this point. So, yeah, Ryan Day right now, offensively, his reputation is even more sterling than even all of us believed it was. And we were a lot of us comfortable with him taking over as OSU's head coach with no prior head coaching experience. And it, the truth is, this recruiting you're seeing from Ryan Day is borderline historic at this point, particularly on the offensive side of the ball. And if you think this year is good, look how they've already started next year with all the top kids coming in. I, I think the story of this offseason isn't that Clemson is – you know, reeling in five stars left and right, which is, of course, a big deal. I think the story of this offseason is that Ohio State isn't going anywhere. In fact, if anything, their recruiting's improved in year one of Ryan Day over Urban Meyer. And that's something I don't think anybody ever would have considered saying back in November. I thought Day was going to focus more regionally, given that his national profile couldn't be as big as Meyer's. But the receivers are a good example. If you look, Pennsylvania, Texas, Missouri, and the state of Washington, their national profile hasn't been hurt at all. I mean, the running back that we're talking about, them possibly adding, where the two of them are from, Arizona and Florida, 
the national brand is as strong as ever, and they're clearly ahead of pace. It's been fun to watch, and by the way, it's not slowing down anytime soon. Keep it locked in here. All right, let's move on to some real football here. We're going to take a quick look at the Big Ten in 2019. We're going to go team for team and just do kind of thought police here, nothing too detailed. I'm just going to give Bax the name of a squad, and he's going to give you his vibes on it as we head into the year. Everybody knows Bax's bucket. One of my favorite parts of it is the weekly roundup on the Big Ten with tongue placed firmly in cheek. So here we go. West Division, I'm going to go in inverted standings from last year. Illinois. <laughs> Who cares? Uh <laughs> Poor Lovey Smith is uh, not doing so well at Illinois. I can tell you right now. I, I think Illinois is a team that uh, they're they're the type of school with where they're geographically located, with their lack of history and a lot of things. Illinois, any year that they even sniff a bowl game is a good year, and I don't think they're sniffing this year at all. Nebraska on the rise and the scariest road game of the year for Ohio State outside of the game. Uh, they play them at the end of September in Lincoln. They got a good young quarterback, a, a, one of the top quarterback coaches in the country, and Scott Frost is fixing that program. They may not win the West this year, but they're going to be a contender to come out near the top of the division. There's certainly a chance to win nine, ten games there this year. Minnesota. Sneaky this year. If you look, they've actually brought in a pretty decent recruiting class with B.J. Fleck there, and this is a guy who's proven he can coach. So Minnesota is sort of a dark horse in the West this year. I think everybody's talking about Wisconsin. Everybody's talking about Nebraska. Everybody's talking about Northwestern. Don't be surprised if Minnesota surprises people and wins eight games this year. The fighting Rondell Moores. The most fun team in college football that I'm not sure is going to make a bowl game. Um, <laughs> Jeff Brom is staying at Purdue is a big deal for them. They're they're going to have a bunch of games that they play that are 38 to 35 or 42 to 41 or something. Uh, I'm also really happy Ohio State doesn't play them this year. So I don't think they're going to win the West, but I think they're going to be a hell of a lot of fun to watch this year. Iowa. Uh, the same boring cheese sandwich and glass of milk that we've watched the last 15 years that's going to have between six and eight wins. There's, there's no more of a guarantee than Iowa having six to eight wins in college football every single year. And uh, on the flip side, also congratulations to Luke Lachey, who's going to go to Iowa and probably end up being yet another first-round pick at tight end because that's the one thing Iowa does, play with the tight end really well. Now, here's a team, in my opinion, that needs to be really good for the Big Ten's rep to continue, and I don't think they have been for a couple years now, and that's Wisconsin. Yeah, I agree with you. Uh, Wisconsin for a while there was like the, the brand of man ball outside of Alabama. They would line up and they'd run you over and they'd send NFL tailbacks to the league left and right. And they haven't been that team the last couple of years. I don't think they are this year either. Uh, I think it's going to be very interesting to see if Paul Chris' tendencies in terms of wanting to have a more dynamic passing game are going to manifest themselves this year. I think Wisconsin certainly a contender in the West, but I think Wisconsin isn't going to be that 10-win kind of team that makes the Big Ten look good because they have some of that quote-unquote name brand value at this point. And I could easily see Wisconsin go 6-6 six and six or 10-2. and two. There's a lot of wiggle between that, that schedule this year. This team had a really interesting year last year when you look at the standings. They were 8-1 and one in the conference, 6-0 and oh in their division, 5-0 and oh on the road, Northwestern. Yeah, I think it's going to be difficult for Northwestern to repeat what they did because if you look at their offense last year, it also wasn't very good. 
That said, their starting quarterback this year happens to be a guy named Hunter Johnson, who, if you pay much attention to recruiting, was a five-star kid who went to Clemson and just happened to be stuck behind a couple major kind of prospects, and he ended up going to Northwestern where his brother played. So this is the most talented uh, quarterback that Northwestern may have ever had. It's the highest-rated recruit that Northwestern's ever had in the modern era. So if Hunter Johnson goes out, their offense could be significantly improved from last year. Northwestern right now, if you put a, a, bolt, a gun to my head, it, it's them in Nebraska for a coin flip to win the division. I think Pat Fitzgerald with their new facilities is going to be continue to bring in good talent there. I think Northwestern is going to be very interesting. And by the way, they have the Nerd Bowl against Stanford right at the start of the season this year. They're going to tell us a lot about that Northwestern team right away. That's your West division. We're now moving on to the East. Again, we're going in inverted order of finish from last year. Shocker, we're starting with Rutgers. Sorry, Chris Ash. <laughs> That's about all you can say about Rutgers. Here's what I think about Rutgers. When you look at the standings, we have a lot of columns here. One is conference record, and the one on the far right is streak. They were 0-9, and their streak was L-10, so not a good team. <laughs> uh, next up, Indiana. Indiana, let's see, they're going to go back to being the same continually boring team that they've always been. Kevin Wilson was sort of like a, a bright light in the dark for the last 25 years of Indiana football. I don't have any faith in that team to be anything more than mediocre this year. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. I thought there was a time a few years ago that Indiana was kind of a sleeping giant. Mm -hmm. I no longer feel that's the case. Now, here's a team that was fingertips away from its biggest win in eons against a certain team everyone here has seen play before. That's Maryland. Yeah, that that's the kind of near miss that only comes around every so often for a team of Maryland's caliber against a school like OSU. And let's not forget their new head coach is noted tactical genius, Mike Loxley, who was the guy who I think he went, what, 4-23 and 23 at, at uh, New Mexico? Is that correct? So... You know, good for him. He could recruit at Alabama like anybody could recruit at Alabama. I'm not convinced that his qualifications of recruit well at Alabama and likes Maryland somehow makes him a good qualified head coach at, for the Terps. I, I, I can see this Loxley era ending poorly and shortly. How does that sound? Loxley is a D.C. native, and for people who don't know this, he's the main recruiter on some of the Florida teams back in the day. Like you said, he did work at Alabama. He's always been able to recruit, and then things tend to go wrong after that. So I could see Maryland bringing in some really good players. The DMV is, has a ton of them, and Maryland has never done a great job recruiting it, but I just don't see Loxley as being the one to get him out of that. Now here's a team that's disappointing, Michigan State. Talk about a team, by the way, that needs to have a good season because there's a lot of whispers about D'Antonio being sort of the end of his rope. Uh, we saw them go 3-9 and nine not that long ago. Uh, th there's been a lot of bad news that continually comes out of that program with player misbehavior. The latest stuff about Malik McDowell, who isn't even there anymore, assaulting a police officer, and the whole story about 
what happened with him as a flop at the end of his career is certainly not reflecting well on them. I think Michigan State's a team this year that if they don't turn it around, they're losing their status as the secondary program, if you will, in a place like Ohio. They made their hay on getting a bunch of second-level Ohioans that today are going to places like Kentucky and Cincinnati, all those places. And that's a real problem right now for him. So if there's a team in the East that needs a good year right now, both of the schools that need that good year are located in the state of Michigan. Because I love page views, let me tell you what I think could very well happen this year. I think D'Antonio is like seven wins away from the career win mark, and I could see him retiring. Guess who's going to be the number one candidate at Michigan State? Luke Fickle. Yeah, that, that was, what I was going to say was Luke Fickle. <laughs> yes, they've had trouble in Ohio recently, in the last uh, cycle or two, largely because Luke is at UC. But that would be a very interesting choice for Mr. Uh, Fickle, and one I think you probably have to take, considering the youth of Mr. Ryan Day in Columbus. Next up, a team near your heart. I don't want to say close to it. Near your heart more regionally in location, that's Penn State. Yeah, this is a real interesting year for James Franklin. I said this in the bucket a while back. The way that they sort of started hemorrhaging recruits this summer and started having people pull away in interest was shades of Brady Hoke before his last year. Now, it's not that bad. And Franklin's been way more successful than the Hokes there was on the field. But there's a disconnect between the perception of Franklin and the results of Franklin. I'll maintain till, till time immemorial that if OSU doesn't get that field goal blocked against Penn State, that year that Penn State went on the run to win the conference and, and go to the Rose Bowl, Franklin might not have made it through that year because if you remember, they were like three and two at the time. And OSU, if they beat them in that game, Franklin could have easily stumbled to another six and six kind of year, been a mediocre coach to start of his career. And who knows, the Penn State fans were ready to turn on him before that game. And that game alone bought him an extra two years of goodwill, but they've had heartbreaking losses to OSU the last two years. And the way this is going for them in, the, in terms of looking at the talent that they have, when they come to OSU for senior day this year, that might be a 6-4 a, a and four kind of Penn State team. I wouldn't be surprised whatsoever if OSU drilled them this year. And if that happens, Franklin could be in a lot of trouble. So if we're talking about job openings like Michigan State potentially, Penn State's one to keep an eye on because there's a lot of buzzards circling around Franklin right now. Yeah, things get worse for Franklin. He becomes my number one candidate for viral video of the year because I don't think he's going to handle the amped pressure and some added failure. And He tends to go off. Even his speech after getting beat by Ohio State last year was worth the price of admission. Okay, this is the reason we did this. Obviously, we're not going to talk about Ohio State. The Buckeyes are awesome. But this is really the reason we did this. And I said this to Bax before the show, and I'll say it to everybody here. I'm okay being labeled a homer. Like I've said, the site's called Bucknuts. It's not called Buck Rational Observers. But we're going to talk about Michigan, and there are a lot of media sources picking Michigan to win the Big Ten East and beat Ohio State and have a better season. For the life of me, I don't understand why. And I'm not saying that from a, you know, let's go laugh at Shea Patterson's internet mishaps kind of way. I don't see it. Their defense was the key to their team last year even though Ohio State whomped it, and it's all gone. Can you explain to me, and I'm really looking forward to this, why people think Michigan is going to be better than Ohio State this year? Is it just fear of Justin Fields not being good? I don't really understand what it could be. The floor is yours. 
I think this is one of the more delusional preseason picks that seems to have been caught nationwide at this point in recent memory. It reminds me of Tennessee randomly get thrown in the top 10 towards the end of the Fulmer era because, well, you know, this is Tennessee. They can't be like this forever, right? Flash forward a decade later, and yes, they have been like that forever. This is what happens when you have shifts in demographics and the way that college football works. Old powerhouses don't stay powerhouses. Even Phil Steele did this this year. Like, he even put in his column in his magazine this year that, you know, Michigan fans have been mad at me for years for picking Ohio State. Well, this is the year you get your turn. A big, loud fan base like Michigan's, who always is at the at the wrong side of the victory ledger, is going to eventually have enough people go, well, well, let's just pick Michigan. They're due. Now, that's absolute horse crap. Let's be real honest here. Michigan, you are dead on. Their defense is gone. Their defense is nothing compared to what it was last year. They lost multiple first-round picks. They're going to be worse on defense. In the interim, their offense was terrible last year. Jim Harbaugh's stuck in the Stone Age when it comes to offensive uh, play calling and scheming. And do you really think he's going to take his thumb off of Shea Patterson? Even if he does, are they really good enough on offense to make a big difference? This is a decent team. Don't get me wrong. I'm not saying they're going to go 5-7. and seven, But this looks like an 8-4 and four or 9-3 and three team again to me at best. And somehow everybody's picking them to win the Big Ten, be in the top five. It's absolutely idiotic. And I just I don't understand it beyond it's a big fan base and they're, quote, due. Guess what? There's no such thing as due. Every year's a new team. And Ohio State has way more talent than Michigan does. And by the way, if you look at how they're recruiting, it's three-star heaven over there. It's not like they're bringing in top elite national kids. It's, well, this guy really wanted to be a Wolverine. Yay. Okay, cool. You got a guy that almost no one else was chasing times like 10. That's your class. Congrats. I think this Michigan team this year, flat out, is the most overrated team in preseason football that I can remember. And that says a lot because I remember a lot of Notre Dame teams that were like, you know, fall over laughing in the top 10. And the truth of the matter is, preseason picks, you know what they do? They move the needle. They, 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 they have page views. They, 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 they force, you know, nice bets in Las Vegas that they know that they're going to make a ton of money on when you see Michigan at 12 to 1. Ooh, Vegas thinks we're going to be good this year. No, they're not. They just know you're suckers and want to give them money for it. Michigan this year is not the best team in the Big Ten. I will be stunned if they get past that 10-win mark. And by the way, Jim Harbaugh is on the hottest seat of anybody in the conference right now because if he can't beat Ohio State and Michigan State and Notre Dame this year, he's screwed. Think about it. Can you imagine an OSU coach starting 0-5 in that game and managing to hold on to his job? That's what Jim Harbaugh is looking down the barrel of right now. And by the way, Justin Fields, everybody's so concerned about Justin Fields because they watched the spring game where he's part of a program for a month and a half. Come on. Let's be real here. Justin Fields is a better prospect than Shea Patterson. He was a guy people were comparing favorably to Trevor freaking Lawrence. So let's all chill on Justin Fields maybe not being good this year because if he stays healthy, he's the best quarterback in the Big Ten. Michigan at the top of this conference right now is an absolute abject joke. I don't think there's anything I could add to that, but and, and I'm, I reiterate this, we're not above doing shtick on this show. This is not shtick. I really don't get no. it, and neither does Bax. It's, it, it's, I'm incredulous. And you're right, you brought up Phil Steele. That's actually when I really just was like, oh, this is – there's something in the water here. I, I don't get it. Yeah, Phil's the you best, see? man. I, I love Phil. He's awesome. Me too. Like, every yeah, I year. I've bought his magazine every year since, like, 2005. But even he was kind of like, all right, you guys are sick of it. And by the way, there's, a, there's another thing to add. I think a little bit is just throwing a bone to their fans saying, we're going to pick against you the next five, six years, so this is your chance. We'll give you the preseason pick, right? Let's see how many of them are actually picking Michigan to beat Ohio State when we come around in November. 
the definition of insanity, doing the same thing and expecting a different result. So enjoy that, Michigan. We appreciate back stopping by. It's been a fun ride. Dave will be back on Monday. Have a great weekend, Buck Nutters.